Well, before jumping right in, um, many of you are new, and you may not know who I am. I'm Roy Yeager. I am the, one of the associate pastors here, and one of, uh, one of my responsibilities and great joys is I'm responsible for coordinating the things on this campus. And some of you, um, particularly those of you who have younger children, are probably interested in what the church plans to do about children's ministry space. And I'm delighted to be able to share with you, there have been some developments in the last month that we're all pretty excited about. Um, for one, um, well, if you've noticed, there was that little event that happened down on the corner, that house that's on the corner. Well, it turns out that that house was under contract by someone who was anonymously donating that house to our church. Of course, it got smacked, so there's some, there's some lovely bits that have to be dealt with there, but... That will enable us to move out of the office and relocate the office into that building so that we can immediately expand the area there for the newborns. That's pretty exciting news to us because we're wondering what we're going to do for space while, we're, while the elders are wrestling with the long-term plans. Hear the Lord deliver for us just like that, a short-term plan. And at the end of this month, I can also share with you that the elders have authorized uh, the deacons and I to convert the IOD into two additional classrooms for the kids. These are exciting developments that a month ago, well, six weeks ago, we were wondering, what are we going to do? We, you know, we Long-term plans, yep, sure, that's great, but what are we going to do between now and then? And here the Lord has delivered for us one right after another after another. So I wanted to share that with you, and I also wanted to thank you for reaching out to me this week and letting me know that you were praying for my family and me, and I, I want you to know that that was greatly appreciated. It did mean a lot. Additionally, before I jump in to the message, I want to let you know how much I appreciate our pastor. It's hard to believe I've been here. I've started my seventh year. Where does the time go? But I have a great appreciation for the fact that I do this a handful of weeks, weekends a year. He does this for us every week, and it is hard work. And uh, the reason I'm up here today is because I can also share with you that today is John and Michelle's 29th anniversary, so acknowledge them for that. So I'm, I'm particularly delighted to be able to, in fact, Harrison shared with me that as far as he can remember, this is the first time in his life that he can remember that all three of them came to church in the same car together. Which is what happens, Sunday's the work day for, for a pastor, and he works hard for you. The events of this last week have illustrated once again how timely Scripture remains to this very day. I had no idea that our oldest son was going to be going in for brain surgery this week on an emergency basis. And I was driving home from Tampa at the time. This is not the kind of news you want to get while you're in the middle of a five-hour drive. And here's what I know. I was alone in that truck, but I was never abandoned. And that's our topic for this morning. The introduction to 2 Timothy in the ESV Bible begins with the following. 
Paul wrote this letter as he awaited execution, despite all that Paul was facing. facing Death, the end of his ministry, abandonment by most of his friends for fear of persecution. He faithfully directed his spiritual son, Timothy, to the hope that is in Christ. As John has shared for us in the last couple of weeks, Paul's letter starts out brilliantly with an exhortation to Timothy to be bold, to endure, and be faithful in the face of false teaching. This morning, the text deals with the one verse in this letter that addresses that one little sentence in the middle, abandonment. Thankfully, that verse is sandwiched between verses of great encouragement. Back in the fall, I mentioned that in the, in the first century, most people did not know how to read. And the way that they learned predominantly was by hearing, which is referred to as oral learning. And Paul, in this section of Scripture that we're going to read shortly, is using what is referred to as an ABA block, which is essentially you sandwich something really difficult with encouraging on either side. If you've ever been through a, 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 a job um, review, they generally will follow a formula that's based on this, right? Say something nice, then clobber them, and then say something nice again. Well, that's some, similar to what we have here. And so in that first century, you have things like, so faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. And in 1 Thessalonians 5.27, the one I like, it's, I charge you by the Lord that this letter be read to all the brethren. So let's read it. I'll be reading this morning from the message. So if it seems a bit different, that's what it is. So keep at your work this faith and love rooted in Christ. Exactly as I set it out for you. It's as sound as the day you first heard it from me. Guard this precious thing placed in your custody by the Holy Spirit who works in us. I'm sure you know by now that everyone in Providence of Asia deserted me, even Phygelus and Hermogenes. But God bless Onesiphorus and his family. Many's the time I've been refreshed in that house. And he wasn't embarrassed a bit that I was in jail. The first thing he did when he got to Rome was to look me up. May God on the last day treat him as well as he treated me. And then there was all the help he provided in Ephesus, but you know that better than I. Let's pray and then get into it. Father, I pray that you would take this passage and would use me to um, convey what you would have for those that have come here this morning. For I ask it all in Jesus' name. Amen. Verses 13 and 14 begin boldly. By the way, John... This is a nifty new little tool. <laughs> Keep at your work this faith and love rooted in Christ. Notice with me the phrasing. This work, this faith and love, excuse me. This denotes singular. He didn't write in faith and love, with faith and love. He said this faith and love. Paul is saying faith and love rooted in Christ are inseparable. Now you might be thinking, well, how is that possible? Verse 14, by the Holy Spirit, that's how. 
Guard this precious thing. What precious thing? The faith and love by which you work rooted in Christ, which was placed in your custody by the Holy Spirit who works in us. Now, this is powerful. Perhaps your work isn't considered traditional ministry. Maybe you're a stay-at-home mom or dad. Perhaps you homeschool. Maybe you're a healthcare professional, a restaurateur, or somebody who turns canola into biodegradable plastic out at the airfield. That is your ministry. You are ministers. Paul is making it clear here. See, this whole secular and, you know, there's none of that in in Scripture. When you're called, you're called to whatever work you're in or whatever condition you're in. That's where you're called. If that's where you became a believer, that's your ministry. You are a minister wherever it is that you work. So Paul is making it plain to us that to do your work with faith and love rooted in Christ by the power of the Holy Spirit is the way you do it. Now, if you're struggling to minister in your workplace, whatever that work is that you've been called to do, then ask yourself this question. Are you doing it with your willpower or in the faith and love that's rooted in Christ? You see, that's the only way to sustainably live the Christian life is to depend on faith and love rooted in Christ's power by the Holy Spirit that's within you. If you're doing it on your own power, here's what I will tell you. Personal experience. You're going to burn out. You can maybe keep on a good front for a good bit. If you're not daily getting together with the Holy Spirit, acknowledging your weakness and speaking to Him and looking to Him, then you will struggle. So having established this, Paul really opens up in verse 15. Everyone deserted me. For how long? We have no idea. What we know from the text is that it even surprised Paul that two individuals in particular had cut and run. This is the only time in Scripture that Phygelus and Hermogenes are mentioned. I'm sure neither of them knew at the time, had any idea that their deserting Paul would be memorialized forever in Scripture. And that's the thing. We can never be 100% certain of the consequences for our actions. So choose wisely. We see abandonment, pardon me, you see that abandonment is one of the most hurtful things that anybody can do because it involves a broken trust. People need to be depending on you for abandonment to be even a thing. I mean, let's be honest. If you're a sorry individual, who cares if you leave? You know, if, you have, if you're completely indifferent to the people around you, okay, good riddance. But when people count on you, they trust you, and you leave, it's very different. Abandonment is immensely personal, and not just for Paul in a Bible story. 
Being alone can be a choice. Abandonment requires at least two parties. I know because I've lived through both sides of it. When I was 14, my father left my mother for another woman. Left. Doesn't that, that doesn't sound nearly as bad as abandonment, does it? Culture does little things like this when they want to normalize something. They pick another word or declare a word hateful in order to eliminate shame. That's an entirely different sermon. But over the course of my lifetime, mainstream culture has worked tirelessly to eliminate shame in the concept of sin. And to be clear, I expect that from the world. But I don't accept it, expect it from the church. And to our shame, we've done a lot of similar things. My dad, when he left, also moved to South Florida. And as our guest pointed out, I'm not from South Florida. He left my mother, me, and my three younger sisters on Long Island to fend for ourselves with very little money. We counted on him, and he left. He abandoned us. Sadly, as is often the case, the sins of the father are passed on to the son, and it turned out that I was no better than him. Having left my first wife and two boys five years into a difficult marriage, I abandoned them, be very clear. I had convinced myself that I was better than my father because I took and accepted financial responsibility for them. And I have to tell you, it is very difficult to share this and admit this. It's a difficult time in my past, but to be blunt, though it all happened before I got saved, that makes very little difference, especially to them. They counted on me and I abandoned them. It also matters little to me that as far as the world is concerned, neither my father nor I had done a thing wrong. Everything we did was completely legal. And according to everyone around us at the time, what we did was the best for everyone. They were wrong. Both my abandonment were real. Being abandoned and abandoning others, real. Paul's abandonment, real. People Paul counted on deserted him. When people you count on abandon you, the pain is real. Few things in this life can cause as much pain and anxiety and heartbreak as abandonment. Culture may be fine with it, but culture can be wrong. God expects better, especially of his children. For Paul, it was even worse. He was in prison. And being put in prison back then means days, possibly weeks, without food or water. You're chained to the ground, usually underground, no daylight. It was horrible. And you weren't chained on some long chain like you see in the movies. No. That would be expensive. You were chained right there. 
the people he counted on were folks that would bring him food and water and clean up his waste after him so that he didn't have to live in a horrible, horrible condition, as bad as it was. So when Paul said everyone deserted him, it didn't mean that he was simply left alone by the people that he counted on. He was living what it means to be abandoned. Which reminds me of another of one of God's great prophets. In 1 Kings chapter 18, we find Elijah sitting under a juniper tree after he had just vanquished, well, the Lord did the vanquishing, but he was the instrument, 450 prophets of Baal. And Elijah thought everybody had abandoned God, abandoned him. He was despondent underneath that tree. What was God's response? He sent an angel to feed and care for him, eventually letting him know the 7,000 had not bailed, bent their knee to Baal. So was Elijah alone? Yes. Was he exhausted? Probably, which would explain the crazy talk in chapter 19. He was alone, but he was never abandoned by God. In his despair, he started focusing on his circumstances. He had no idea the Lord would be sending an angel his way to tend to him, to feed him, to care for him. Here in 2 Timothy, we have Paul alone in a jail cell. Absolutely, but he was never abandoned. He was deserted by people he counted on, but like Elijah, Paul had no idea God was sending Onesiphorus. In Joshua chapter 1, Joshua is taking over for Moses. He had a big task. Let's face it, it was Moses. And in verse 5, we see that the Lord is always with his children. And it's for the first time we see this phrase in, in Scripture. It reads, just as I was with Moses, so I will be with you. I will never leave you or forsake you. Then in Matthew 28, immediately after the Great Commission, Jesus completes, God bless you, Jesus completes Matthew's gospel with the following, behold, or as the first time I heard it, lo, I am with you always, even until the end of the age. This happens to be another occasion where I re distinctly remember thinking, how is that possible? And then the Lord reminded me of another verse in Matthew in chapter 19, verse 26. With man, this is impossible. But with God, all things are possible. So is it possible to be alone, deserted by everyone and not abandoned? Absolutely. Because if the Bible is God's word, and we believe it is from cover to cover, no matter how implausible Everything that's in it has to be trusted. If God says he will never leave you or forsake you, then you can be alone on a desert island, but you are not abandoned. He is with you no matter how dire your circumstances. Two of the Lord's greatest prophets, Elijah and Paul, had moments in their life where the events of their life caused them to lose sight of God and what he was doing. And I am grateful personally that he recorded those things so that we understand that he understands. 
But make no mistake, unlike us, God is never put off by our circumstances or our failures. Our circumstances and failures don't matter to him anymore, don't miss this, than our victories. He is always with us, always queuing up another Onesiphorus when we think all is lost. He will never leave us or forsake us. What might be impossible for man is just another day in eternity for God, caring for his children as only a loving God can. Which leads me to the most important point of the morning as I begin to wrap this up. John has started this head, heart, and hands thing. Head. Everything I have just detailed concerning the distinction between being alone and being abandoned and that God will always be there for you, that is only true if you are his child. And that is only possible if you have put your faith and trust in his son, Jesus. So in your head, have you made that choice? As for your heart, for those of us who do believe, God expects more from us. Jesus died because we aren't nearly as fantastic as we think we are. My sin, your sin, that's why he died. God rose him from the dead so we could be better, better in him. By his power, that line rooted in the faith and love of Christ. It wasn't until I had surrendered my life to the Lord that I began to understand that just because something's legal doesn't make it right. That just because the world says I can do something doesn't mean I should. Be very careful who you're listening to and from where you're taking your cues. Proverbs 4.23 reads, actually it warns us, guard your heart above all else, for it is the source of life. See, thinking it here is one thing. You've got to think it here as well. You've got to surrender your heart to him. If you're taking life advice from the world, there's a good chance it won't be based on what God expects. Hands. Own your life. Own your past, own your present. Own your life. The things that others have done and the things that you have done, you own it. It's no one else's fault. My pride would, much, would have much rather shared an illustration that wasn't so embarrassing and humiliating. What I did hurt people. Thankfully, God sent someone into my life just like he did in Elijah's life and just like he did for Paul. And they shared a better way than what the world was queuing up for me. I can sum it up with a quote from John Piper. 
It's worth memorializing and memorizing, rather. And it's in the app, if you in the app notes, if you'd like to kind of get it. It says that the wisdom of God has ordained a way for the love of God to deliver us from the wrath of God without compromising the justice of God. That's quite a mouthful. But the wisdom of God has ordained a way for the love of God to deliver us from the wrath of God without compromising the justice of God. That way is his son. There's only one way. Jesus said, I am the way, I am the truth, I am the life. The next line is all of it. No one comes to the Father but by me. We are about to share communion. My prayer for you is that if there is someone or something in your life that is keeping you from fully surrendering your pride and your life to God, that you would admit that to him. It is only then that you can embrace the joy he has waiting for you once you've relieved yourself of the guilt that is weighing you down and keeping you from the kind of life that Paul is sharing here with Timothy. I can tell you from my own life that is going to come as no surprise to any of you. I thought that I was the cat's meow when I was a young man. And yet, I was, I was hiding things from people. I was hurt when my father left. And I blamed him. I was very angry, and I didn't learn until after Sherry and I were together that that anger was essentially because he had abandoned me. I used to drape it in all kinds of really good-sounding language, like, you know, he left my mom, and that was bad, and all this other kind of stuff. No, he left me. It was very personal. That's the thing with abandonment. It's very personal. And then what did I do? I was no better than him. That's the thing when you're taking your cues from the world. The world doesn't care. If anything, the world has made it a beeline to try to prove that God doesn't exist. There's a choice involved here. Hebrews tells us that faith is the evidence of those things which are unseen, the substance. It's the substance. It's that real. And the moment it becomes that real, no matter how horrific the things you've done in your life, you can become God's child. And that's my prayer for you. Let's pray. Father, I pray that you would take these words and if there is anyone here who is on that edge of holding back because they think for, for whatever reason that they've been too bad, help them to see, Lord, that you're there waiting with open arms for them. I pray it all in Jesus' name.